The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Lisa Trevino. Um, I've been chosen to speak on hospitality as we go through this series of focusing on women in the Bible and how they've impacted our church culture. Um, I'm married to Josue Trevino, who you might recognize. He runs our Lindale Ecclesia, Lindale campus. Um, he was first hired in 2017 to start a Spanish congregation there, but through a course of events, it's actually turned into a community center, which has been such a blessing for the community there. Uh, it's a more impoverished community, mostly Spanish-speaking. They have an early head start for kids. They teach English classes during the week. They're doing some really beautiful things. So you might have seen him um, on the screen or on the websites every now and then. We actually arrived to Ecclesia in 2017. Uh, the day we arrived was Super Bowl Sunday, and the Super Bowl was in town. Do you guys remember this? February 4th or 5th. We got off the plane from Raleigh, North Carolina, and there was like banners and people handing out merchandise and cheering and news interviews, and we felt like so famous, right? And we we're like, we're not even going to the game, but yeah, we want to be a part of this. Um, and we got to the church, and we were in this building, and I saw the moving walls and the exposed brick, the big beams, and I was like, whoa we are not cool enough to go to this church. But Ecclesia, you guys are so great. You enveloped us in, you invited us in. Within like the month, we had multiple dinners at people's houses. We went to the coolest Harry Potter birthday party I've ever been to. There was another meetup with some Hispanic families that to, for us to meet more Hispanics in the congregation. And we just felt so welcomed. So thank you, Ecclesia. It's you guys, Houston's such a beautiful place to live. Thank you for making our family just feel really welcome in a city where we didn't have any family or friends. We didn't know anybody, so thank you for that. This topic of hospitality is gonna be our focus for the morning, and we're gonna read a story in the Bible about a woman who showed hospitality to Jesus. But first, let's take a moment and pray. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we invite you here this morning. We invite you to speak to our ears, to open our hearts to show our eyes what people we need to invite into our community, the people in the margins that need your love the most. Open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have for us this morning. Amen. Well, not Hispanic by birth, although I know I very much look it. I, I, feel, Hispanic, I feel Hispanic by association. I married a native Mexican. Um, my in-laws live with us and they're from Mexico. Uh, I grew up on the border in Brownsville, Harlingen area. Uh, if you're familiar with that area, it's 97% Hispanic. So I was maybe one of five non-Hispanics in my high school. Um, I grew up going to quinceaneras and the big parties and going to my friends' houses where the mom is constantly shoving food in your face like, no, you're too skinny, you have to eat. Take another plate, take a plate to go. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you been to a Hispanic party? Because that's where it's at. It's so much fun. So I associate myself in the Hispanic community. We also lived in Mexico the first two years of our marriage and we got to do some church planning there, me and my husband. And it's just been a beautiful community that me as an outsider, as a very obviously Anglo white person, has just been enveloped by this community, by this family. And so when we moved to Houston, we really felt that dynamic of different ethnicities and cultures, socioeconomic statuses, kind of all blended in in the same place. I know some people complain about like the zoning laws, but honestly, I think it's a beautiful thing to see a mansion next to maybe an old gas station. I think like this is a beautiful culture that kind of blends everybody together. 
You can be anybody, any amount of money, any color, any religion, and we all kind of feel at home in Houston, don't we? I love that. As I was growing up, my parents, uh, they were Christians. They met at UT in Austin. Oh man, I thought this service would give me a little more, okay. Any UT fans there? Surely, I was like, the 11 o'clock, they won't let me die. Uh, my parents met at UT in Austin, and they were married shortly afterwards. Instead of following my dad's career in biology and chemistry, he felt God calling him to pastorship. So they moved to the Rear Grand Valley, to Harlingen, and my dad was an associate pastor at a church, but we didn't have a lot of money, so he had to take on other jobs. He was a roofer, he did construction, uh, he worked for the WIC office for a little while. But my parents really strived to show us hospitality on a very low budget, and also trying to keep us safe from people just coming in and out of our house. My mom didn't work, uh, but she was always cooking. We didn't have air conditioner in our house, which you can imagine, in the Rio Grande Valley, like right now we're sweltering, right, in Houston. But in the Rio Grande Valley, it was extremely hot, and yet my mom would cook meals for people. She loved to cook pies. She could make a lemon meringue pie for $2, because that's what it cost to make the ingredients of a lemon meringue pie. Now, I wouldn't know, because I'm more of a cake person. Don't, don't do the pie, don't do the baking. Um, but they really strive, they found different ways. There was a Marine Military Academy in our town that my parents would like pick some boys up from, from the school, take them to church, and then bring them to our house after church for lunch. Although those particular situations stopped when me and my sister got a little older, a little curvier, <laughs> less of those invitations. Uh, there was another family in our neighborhood whose dad was a pretty heavy drinker, and, their, and his, his daughters would come and spend the night at our house when they, his dad, their dad was particularly out on a binge. There was another family who was going through a divorce and my mom took in those kids during the summertime while the dad was working because the mom had left. So there were, I had so many great examples of hospitality within my family and within the Hispanic culture. So let's take a moment. We're gonna read Luke 7. This is a story of a woman who shows hospitality to Jesus. Once a Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to be a guest for a meal. Picture this. Just as Jesus enters the man's home and takes his place at the table, a woman from the city, notorious as a woman of ill repute, follows him in. She has heard that Jesus will be at the Pharisee's home, so she comes in and approaches him, carrying an alabaster, alabaster flask of perfumed oil. Then she begins to cry. She kneels down so her tears fall on Jesus' feet, and she begins to wipe his feet with her own hair. Then she actually kisses his feet, and she pours the perfumed oil on them. Simon thinking, now I know this guy is a fraud. If he were a real prophet, he would have known who this woman is and he would have never let her get her near him, much less touch him or kiss him. Jesus, knowing what the Pharisee is thinking, Simon, I want to tell you a story. Tell me, teacher. Two men owed a certain lender amount of money. One owed 100 weeks wages and the other owed 10 weeks wages. Both men defaulted on their loans, but the lender forgave them both. Here's a question for you. Which man will love the lender more? Simon answers, well, I guess it would be the one who was forgiven more. Good answer. Now Jesus turns around, so he's facing the woman, although he's still speaking to Simon. Do you see this woman here? It's kind of funny. I entered your home. You didn't provide a basin of water so I could wash the road dust from my feet. You didn't give me a customary kiss of greeting and welcome. You didn't offer me the common courtesy of providing oil to brighten my face. But this woman has wet my feet with her own tears and washed them and her, with her own hair. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in, and she has applied perfumed oil to my feet. 
This woman has been forgiven much, and she is showing much love. But the person who has shown little love shows how little forgiveness he has received, saying to the woman, your sins are forgiven. If you've been a member of Ecclesia for any amount of time, or at least since Easter, you're familiar with this foot washing activity. If you're new or this is your first time, don't worry. We're not gonna call you on the stage. You don't have to wash anybody's feet today. Nobody's taking off their shoes. But it's a practice we perform on Maudie Thursday, Maudie Thursday being the Thursday before Easter, and it's a sign of service and hospitality that Jesus performed to his disciples at the Last Supper. The Last Supper was the big meal they had before Jesus went to be crucified. Um, And they would do this in the ancient times because for one, most travel was done by foot. Obviously, there were no paved roads, so there was a lot of dirt being kicked up. And you can imagine when you would go into somebody's home how refreshing a foot bath would feel. Typically, the host would either have his servants wash your feet or the host himself would at least offer a basin of water for the person to wash their own feet. And in Jesus' ministry time, he covered a lot of ground. He traveled mostly by foot and by boat, but there was a lot of walking going on. So you can imagine how refreshing it would be to have a foot bath when you went into someone's house for a meal. A few things stand out to me in this story. One is the woman comes in very humbly. She doesn't announce her presence. She's not asking for anything like some other people would ask you, Jesus, heal my son. Jesus, I'm blind, I can't. She just came in and all she wanted to do was show love to Jesus, appreciation, hospitality. The other thing is the scripture is pretty clear that everybody knew what type of woman she was. The, type, the scripture of sinner in this part really kind of points to a sin of unchastity, maybe prostitution, or something of the like. Simon, who was the owner of the house, knew who she was. Jesus knew who she was. She certainly knew who she was. But that didn't deter her from coming in and offering Jesus this act of love. Let's take a moment now and look at the interaction between Jesus and Simon. Jesus rebukes him in his own home. And he says, you didn't even offer me water to wash my own feet. You didn't even offer me a kiss and greeting. And yet this woman hasn't stopped to show me love since I got here. What Simon was focusing on was the sin of this woman. And he's, in his mind, he's thinking, Jesus wouldn't associate with this woman. If he knew what type of woman this was, he wouldn't allow her to touch him. And yet Jesus did specifically know who she was. And he welcomed her in. I think we do this sometimes. Maybe not y'all, because y'all are pretty spiritual, but me. Sometimes in my mind I think about, oh, that person's wrong, or that person didn't make good life choices. And it kind of creates this barrier, this kind of stiff arm of like, well, they made the bed they're living in, so I don't have to do anything about it. And that's that same attitude that Simon had. He was only worried about pointing out the sin of this woman instead of being hospitable to God who was literally in the room with him. I have a friend, Jenny. She's a fellow Ecclesian here. Uh, She's partnered with an organization called Restoring Justice. And Restoring Justice takes men and women who are either incarcerated or going to be incarcerated or recently incarcerated, partners them with a community member just to kind of promote a friendship. And you know, there's not a lot Jenny can do for this woman as far as getting, you know, helping her with finances, getting her kids back. She can't fix the judicial system to get it to be on this woman's side. But Jenny's just decided, like, I'm just going to be your friend. So she takes her to lunch. She takes her to visit her kids in foster care. She's just decided, like, I'm just going to come alongside this woman and just offer the gift of my presence. That dignity, that love and attention that we can give someone is so much more valuable. 
is so much more needed than just a handout or a gov new government program or better policies. It's the church. It's us. Hospitality takes on so many different forms. Doesn't mean you have to have people over at your house. Doesn't mean you have to go out and serve at every soup kitchen in town. It's that enfolding, enfolding, that enveloping of another person or people group. It's that accepting, that sense of belonging, saying, hey, I'll do life with you. Like, hey, you belong here with us. We accept you no matter what you've done, whether I think you're right or your political views are wrong. You, I'm accepting you as my companion and as my friend. I have some other friends named Tina and Kanel. They're our neighbors. They live a couple doors down from us. We have another gentleman who lives two doors past them. I think I've got a picture of them, don't I? I yeah, they are. Um, this gentleman who lives a few doors down, we're gonna call him Paul. He's older, he doesn't have any kids. His wife has long since passed. Um, he lives alone in what would be considered like a hoarder's home. Um, he doesn't have clean clothes. He doesn't turn on his AC or in the summer or his heat in the winter. And Tina and Kanel have just decided to adopt him as their family. They go over there multiple times a day. They take him groceries. They went to visit him in the hospital when he had broken his hip. In fact, he's back at home now from rehabilitating from his broken hip and he can't get out of bed really well. So they go over four to five times a day to empty his urinal, change his sheets if they're dirty, and because of his mental health declining, he's also a veteran, he's got some troubling issues. He's not very kind to be around all the time. And I've actually heard him like, say terrible things to these ladies. And you know, they keep going over there. And I asked him, like, why do you do that? Like, he's so mean, <laughs> why do you do that? And they're like, well, if we don't take care of him, who's going to? And that just convicts me so much because there's so many people that I feel like, I don't want to get into that. That's too much trouble. That's a lot of work. I don't want to have to be involved. I don't know how I feel about this people group. Sometimes it's like, I don't understand this people group, what their agenda is, so I'm just going to avoid that connection. And those are the very people that we are called to love. Those people on the margins, those type of people you feel uncomfortable with, or you're not sure how your spiritual or political views align with theirs. Those are the very people Jesus is called to love. Jesus calls us to love. Matthew 25 is a very sobering story. I'm just gonna summarize it for you. But Jesus says at the end of days, he's gonna bring everybody in and he's gonna separate sheep and goats. And that's just a metaphor for who's his children and who are not his children. To the sheep, he's gonna say, come in and inherit everything I've planned for you. Because when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. And the people were surprised, like, Lord, when did we ever do that for you? He said, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And in contrast, he says, he's gonna turn to the other side and he's gonna say, depart from me. Because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And when I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. And naturally, the people were shocked, like, but Jesus, if, if you were in our presence, surely we would have given you something to eat. Surely, when did we ever see you naked and not clothe you? When did we ever see you hungry? And he said, when you did not do it for the least of these, you did not do it for me. My daughter, Amelia, is a pretty athletic girl. She went to a volley camp recently at HISD. Um, she's pretty athletic, but she's never played volleyball before, so it's pretty new for her. And I signed her up and we go in together. It's on the other side of town, so I have to stay with her while she plays. And we walk in, it's one of those massive gyms, right? Like three, 4,000 people. It's got the track running around up top, very loud. 
We walk in and these girls are, man, these girls are spiking, setting, they're doing all these crazy stunts and it's a little overwhelming for my little petite daughter. Overwhelming for me too. And I'm sitting in the stands and I'm watching her practice by herself against the wall. And in my heart, I'm just like, God, please just, just let somebody invite her to play. Just, could somebody just like not care that she's new? Could they just not care that maybe she doesn't have all the skills down yet? I just want them, her to be invited in. And I think that's the same way the Lord sees us. We are his children, but he's saying, look, my other kids, they need someone to invite them in. Would you just, would you just go out of your way to make them feel warm and welcome? Would you just go out of your way to envelop someone different into your group? One of my favorite Chris quotes is, Pastor Chris, is God gave some of us too much and God gave some of us too little that we would share. And sometimes I think, well, you know, there's government programs or there's nonprofits for that, or I pay my taxes, or there's plenty of soup kitchens. And that kind of justification of like, well, somebody else is taking care of it. I know you guys don't think that way, but in my darkest moments, I do. And I let myself off the hook. But that's, a lot of times, these people, they don't just need food. They need a friend. They need companionship. They need someone just to say like, yeah, you're not alone. Yeah, I'll go to court with you. Yeah, I'll go to this awkward probation officer appointment with you. Like, yeah, you don't have to be alone. That's what these people really need. Jesus told us, you will know they are my children by the way they love each other. The way we love each other, not just us in this room, in this circle, in your family, but the way we love outsiders. That's the way we show love to Jesus and that's the way it's evident that we are his children. If you're a parent, you probably have experienced this, right? When your kid does something really nice for another kid, you're partially shocked because you're like, oh man, like, maybe they're not gonna be monsters after all. <laughs> but that swelling of pride that, oh wow, like that's my kid loving his sister. This week, my son uh, was invited to a quinceanera and do you know he wanted to invite his 12-year-old sister? <laughs> like, you wanna hang out with her? You like her? Like how, I was so proud. I just felt so much love. And I think that's the same way the Lord feels for us. Like he wants to see his children loving his other children. No matter what side of the spectrum we're on, political views, right or wrong, doesn't matter. It's that we would love our brethren. Jesus had a habit of including people that were pretty unpopular. In addition to this woman, he also invited tax collectors to be his companions. You probably know of Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. He was a Jewish tax collector that Jesus was just walking down the street and he was like, hey you, come hang out with me. Now a tax collector in that time was a pretty despised person. This per uh, Romans were in the territory, but they weren't like an elected government, they were an occupying foreign enemy, and they would exact taxes from the local people. So you can imagine a Jewish tax collector exhorting taxes from his own Jewish neighbors. Well, that was in a special traitorous enemy and they were treated as such. And yet Jesus said like, I don't care about that. That guy's gonna be my friend. You probably also remember the story of Zacchaeus in the tree, the short little, short little tax collector. He also, in front of everybody, he said, hey, I'm going to your house for dinner tonight. Hey, you and me, we're gonna hang out. And he was so ridiculed by the people, by the Pharisees. Oh, how could he, how could he associate himself with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors? But Jesus chose those very people intentionally to be his companions. Jesus left heaven being seated next to God to come to this earth and to not only to die for us and to bury our sin, 
but to become a man just like us. The same type of struggles we have, friends going behind our backs. He was betrayed by his friends. He was stabbed in the back by people that denied even knowing him. And yet he came for us. We were the first outsiders. He came for us so he could say, you guys are now get to be a part of my family. He calls us his co-laborers, his friends, his brothers and sisters. We were the first marginalized group that Jesus had to bring in. And so as we look at this story in the Bible of this woman, the reason she responded with so much love, even though she knew who she was, because she knew she had been enveloped by Jesus's presence. Jesus said, yeah, you can be with me. Yeah, we can be friends. And her response was to show love. And that's the same requirement we have on our life. Jesus has enveloped us in, has invited us in to be a part of his family. And our natural response should be to love others and to bring them in so they can experience that same love and affection from the Lord. You know, in this sermon's prep, I have to put a mirror on my own heart and just really evaluate myself and think, what are there people groups that I don't show hospitality to? Maybe I don't understand them or like, I don't really know how to associate with them. Maybe if someone in my family saw me talking to this type of person, there would be some raised eyebrows. Do I avoid that type of person? And I have to be honest and say, yeah, there have been times instead of showing solidarity for a people group, I've pointed out their wrongness. Well, they shouldn't have done that. That was a bad idea. We were right about that. Instead of just saying, hey, I'm sorry. Your life is hard. Let me do it with you. Let me be your friend. During the pandemic, it was really easy to avoid being hospitable, right? We didn't have people over for quite some time. I worked as a nurse in the hospital, and so I was frequently exposed to COVID. We also have my father-in-law who lives with us, and he's older, he's got some health issues, and we just didn't know, right? We didn't know who could come in, who was okay to see, who was okay to be around. And I think we lost a little bit of that. Something about hospitality, when you invite somebody in, you expose yourself to those vulnerabilities. Like, if you come to my house right now, you're gonna see, I hope the toilet's flushed for one. You're gonna see a toilet roll thing that's been like broken for three months, and you know, I just have not gotten around to fix it. And you're gonna see holes in the wall where somebody tried to ride a skateboard and it launched off into the wall, and I just haven't gotten around to fix it. But you'll, exposing ourselves to hospitality means people are gonna see things about us that maybe is a little uncomfortable, kind of exposes our vulnerabilities. And yet that's what Jesus invites us into. Jesus wasn't afraid to be exposed. He didn't care about his image when he invited these other people in. He really wanted to show love and hospitality to all. So friends, I'd love to invite you into two invitations. One is a contemplation. I'd like you to ask yourself honestly and ask the Lord to illuminate something in you. Are there, is there a people group or certain persons I try to avoid? Maybe because it's awkward, you don't understand. You don't understand where they're coming from. It's just easier to avoid that type of interaction. I just ask you to evaluate your own heart about that. The second thing is a challenge, if you will. Uh, I'd like you to invite someone into your circle. Maybe someone's already dropping in your head right now. Maybe not a someone or a some type of person, a people group, a culture group, an ethnicity. You just don't understand, so it's been easier just to, you know what I'm talking about? I wanna challenge you to invite someone into your circle, to befriend them. You can invite them over to your house, just your presence. Let's have lunch, let's grab coffee. 
Ask them how their day is. Ask them how their life is. Just really get to know them and show that same love and warmth that you've experienced. Lastly, there's so many opportunities to show hospitality here at Ecclesia and in Houston. One way is we serve simple feasts right after this service. If you haven't gotten to experience this, it's a beautiful time to share a meal with an unhoused brother and sister. And more than just giving them a plate of food, it's the time and the dignity that we show them, like, you're worth my time. I'll sit here with you and I'll play a board game. I'll look you in the eye and I'll hear your stories. And it's a beautiful way to show love and hospitality to our neighbors. We do at Ecclesia discourage you from just, you know, rolling down your window and handing out some money. That can actually be harmful some, for some people who are struggling with addictions. So find a way where you can connect, even on, um, it doesn't have to be every week, even on a, you know, a low schedule type um, way that you can show love and hospitality to a brother or sister. There's big brothers, big sisters. There's uh, multiple nonprofit organizations that you can connect to. But a lot, well, what these people really need, they do need resources, they do need help, they do need lawyers, but they really need companions and they need friends. And that's what we have to give, the dignity of your time and attention. I have to remind myself to stop looking at my own little bubble, my kids, are they well, are we safe, do we have enough, my people, and look out into the margins. Because it's so tempting, as, especially as a mom, just to keep cycling through, okay, my people are good. But Jesus is asking us, to look out for his other children. What about the other children who aren't well, who are lonely, who are in grief, who are unhoused, who are hungry, who are thirsty? To look outside of our own circle into the margins and show hospitality. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.